Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Écris à l'ange de l'église qui est à Fès. Voici le message de celui qui tient les sept étoiles dans sa main droite et qui marche au milieu des sept lampes en or. Je connais tout ce que tu fais. Je connais tes efforts et ta passion. Je le sais, tu ne peux pas supporter les gens mauvais. Sept en disent qu'ils sont apôtres, mais ils ne le sont pas. Tu as vu ce qu'ils valaient, tu as compris qu'ils mentaient. Tu restes patient, tu as souffert à cause de moi et tu n'as pu pas été découragé. Mais j'ai un reproche à te faire. Tu n'as même plus comme au début. Souviens-toi, tu avais bien commencé et puis tu es tombé. Change ta vie et agis comme tu agissais au début. Si tu ne changes pas, je vais m'approcher de toi et je vais enlever ta lampe et de sa place. Pourtant, tu as quelque chose de bon. Comme moi, tu détestes les actions du couple des Nicolaites. Celui qui a désiré, qu'il écoute ce que l'Esprit dit aux églises. Au vainqueur, je donnerai à manger les fruits de l'arbre de vie qui est dans le jardin de Dieu. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3. The last time I preached from the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, these two chapters took me seven sermons. And so, here we go today. As I mentioned last week, there's a lot to try to condense, a lot to try to get in in these 10 short weeks as we march right through the book of Revelation. This is a, a good reminder for us, a good spot for us to remember what the point is of Revelation as we, as we enter into these letters to the churches and, and even specifically what Jesus is saying, what Christ is saying to the churches. And so remember here what the book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation is a series of apocalyptic visions intended to make known the clear promise of Christ's coming return and eternal reign as a means to offer hope, expect obedience, and inspire worship. I, I mentioned that I'll be using this definition each week, even in my preparation over the last several months, it's been what's really a part other than the word, in addition to the word, I guess I would say, that guides my way of interpretation and my way of uh, application for us. Understanding revelation in this way, that it is to, again, to make known this the clear promise, right? This is helpful for us, to, that this is to bring clarity, not confusion, and that we are to, to that this should bring something about in us. It should offer hope, it should expect obedience, and it should inspire worship. So when, when we leave each week, at least one of those three things should be happening. Hopefully, all three of those things will be happening, but, but certainly to any one of us, kind of the, the way we like walk out of this place, we should be filled with hope, 
we should have something in us that says, as because of the Spirit, we should be convicted in our obedience and we should be drawn to see the majesty and beauty of our Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So like, look to God's word with that intent. Patrick Schreiner says this about these these couple chapters. He says, John writes to seven churches in Asia Minor, but these stand as symbols for all outposts of the kingdom. That's us. That's a, us. And again, this is, this is reminders for us. If you don't know much about what I'm talking about, in these two chapters, we have uh, John writing what Christ is saying, having him write to these seven particular churches, but it seems most definitely that these letters are, can be reminders for us in so many ways. So, hey kids, if you're in the room, I want you to do something. This is different than what I normally might ask you to like draw a picture, but I want you to do something this week. I want you to write a letter to someone that you love this week. You can pick anybody. In fact, during this like, sermon, maybe you would be thinking about who do you want to write a letter to? Maybe you'll go ahead and write their name down. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a, uh, a friend that lives in another state that maybe moved away. Maybe it's your life group leader. Maybe it's, uh, again, just another family member, another friend. Uh, maybe, uh, like, I'll tell you what, you don't have to say, oh, I love Pastor Chad so much, I want to write him a letter. But if you write me a letter this week, I will write you back in the next couple weeks. You've got to give me a little bit of time because uh, I won't, yeah, just, just, just in case, you might not get it this week, write back. So if you, if you write me, I'll write you back. And I say that because I really like mail. Okay, so maybe you can get mom and dad to help you send that. But I want you to think about what you would, what you would write to them. You might write to them something uh, about them that you love about them, that you're thankful for them. You might also tell them something about you, what, what you're doing. How, like, what's going on in school these days? What, are you playing a sport? Are you playing an instrument? You doing some other activities. So think about that and what you might write to them because what's happening here is there's these letters being written and that's exactly what's happening. Christ is telling them who he is and he's telling them something about them. He's speaking to them. So, so specifically, each of these letters, like these letters contain a description of Christ. In fact, I'll run through some of those real quick. So, uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, the words of him who holds the seven stars, right? We just talked about that last week. He's the one who holds the seven stars. Verse 8, it's the words of the first and the last. Verse uh, 7 of chapter 3, he's the holy one. Verse 14, he's the beginning of God's creation, the originator of God's creation. So these letters over and over and over give this kind of some sort of description of Christ. They also not only uh, contain this description of Jesus, but they, they uh, contain a commendation, except for Laodicea. Uh, they don't, he doesn't have a whole lot. Well, you'll, you'll see that, but not a whole lot of encouraging thoughts there. They also give a rebuke, so something where he says, you got to fix this. So uh, in chapter 2, verse 4, for, for I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So 
abandon your first love. In, in verses 14 and 15, there's this toleration of false teachers. In chapter 3, verse 2, you're not doing good works, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God, it says. So there's these kinds of rebukes repeatedly in these letters. The churches also receive a solution to that problem, as well as consequences for their disobedience. Explanation there. And this is, this is where it gets real encouraging, a promise for conquerors. There's going to be fruit from the tree of life, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Verse 11, there's a rescue from a second death. You will not be hurt by the second death, verse 11. You'll be given a new name, verse 17. You'll be given white clothes, chapter 3, verse 5. All this, even white garments. This is a uh, picture of purity and holiness, righteousness being bestowed on you. So these letters contain lots of stuff. I, I would encourage you, if you didn't this last week, so uh, if you're following along in the reading plan, Thursday we read chapter two and Friday we read chapter three. If you did not do that, I would encourage you uh, in the next couple days to read chapters two and three and maybe even after you've heard the sermon, even if you read them last week, might, might read them again as a fresh reminder. Because again, remember, Certainly, these letters are to particular churches. They even have what city they're in, right? So it tells you who they're to. But there is richness there that we would uh, be wise to learn from. In fact, just as it says in each one of these, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit says to the church. So, May we at Colonial Heights be one who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. I've used this example before, but I, I think this hearing is more than just like the audible hearing. You know, like uh, when your mom tells you to take out the trash and you don't take out the trash. A few minutes later, you say, your mom says, hey, you need to take out the trash and didn't take out the trash. A few minutes later, they, she says, okay, did you hear me? And you say, oh yeah, I heard you. It didn't look like you heard me because you're not doing it, right? This is, this is that kind of idea. We can certainly sit in this room and all walk out and say, oh yeah, we heard that. We heard that, that call, but what this is saying is what the Spirit is saying to the church is let, let the church hear it, and what, what's implied by that is let the church do it. May the church apply it. So with that in mind and with these seven churches, really the, the words from Christ giving to these churches, we want to do a few things. One, confess your sin. When Platt, David Platt, I mentioned I used him as a resource for this. Uh, in his sermon on this uh, very topic, he said, mark it down. Jesus does not pamper his people. 
He loves his people too much for that. He loves his people enough not only to comfort them, but to confront them. I think all of us as parents can understand that, right? We love our children too much to not discipline them, to not bring them back in, to not set up uh, boundaries for them, give them guidelines. And so here, repeatedly, there is this call to confess sin before God. Now, again, remember who he's writing to. This is to the church. So if you're sitting in the room and you're saying, why, why are you saying this to us? I'm here. It's because just because you are a follower of Christ does not mean you are without sin and therefore no, no longer have to confess before God. We know that that still has to happen for us. It's an ongoing process, not just for you, but for me, this is who we are. So, so what kind of sins are being described in these seven churches? We see in the need for confessing, confess sins of lovelessness. Lovelessness. I don't even know if lovelessness is a word, but it sounded like one that I had heard and it didn't put a little red line under it. So I trust that it is one, but I think you know what I mean by it, even if it isn't one, right? That without love, Again, so look look here. In fact, this is one of those spots I underlined in my Bible and would encourage you. So chapter two, verse four, when Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, he has, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You had a love. You were, you were doing right. You were displaying genuine love and care and concern. But now you've, you've abandoned that. He doesn't say you stopped meeting. He doesn't say you stopped singing songs. He doesn't say you stopped giving. He doesn't say you stopped the, the uh, even like provisions. You stopped loving. I wonder, wonder about us. Maybe you can even consider your own life. What areas of life are you lacking a demonstration of love? Where are you not showing love in the way you should be showing love? Who in your life should, should look at you and say, and be able to describe you as loving but can't describe you that way. Maybe, maybe it's your spouse, your husband or your wife. They, they, they know they should be able to say they're a, a quick characteristic. Oh, they're so loving. They, they can't say that. Students, do you demonstrate your love to your parents or your teachers, your professors? Kids, do you show kindness and love to your brother or your sister? How about showing love in your life group? We believe in life group here. 
We believe in the benefit and the fruit of it. We believe that all of you should participate in life groups because that's the place where you can see and sense and feel and participate in, in a greater depth of love for one another. So are you, are you showing that? Do, do your other life group members look at you and say, they're just so loving. They're so kind. They're so supportive and helpful. What about coworkers, neighbors? People look at you and say, they, they embody what I think of when I think of loving, and kind, generous, helpful. Is that, is that how you are described? If not, maybe there are sins of lovelessness in your life that you need to confess before God. Maybe there are sins of fear to the next church in, in Smyrna, verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. For 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I don't think most of us are fearful of that level of persecution for the most part, we're not afraid of being thrown into prison for our faith. We're not afraid of losing our job because of our faith. We're not afraid of, of uh, being physically harmed or even martyred for our faith. Most of us don't experience that, at least not on a regular basis. But I wonder, even at a, a maybe a lesser level, but, but still there, are you afraid of, of persecution? Do you allow fear? I want you to, to think carefully as you answer this question inwardly here. Are you, do you allow fear to stop you from sharing the gospel? Right? So maybe it's a fear of rejection. Nobody likes to be told no. Nobody likes to be pushed aside. You have a fear of a Lack of knowledge. I don't, I don't know enough to be able to share the gospel. I'm, I'm fearful that I'll stumble over my words. I'm fearful that I'll, I'll sound uh, dumb. I'm, I'm fearful that I'll sound unintelligent. I'm, I'm fearful that they'll, they'll, they'll just be smarter than me. They're a better debater than me. They're a better speaker than me. And so I'm, I'm fearful of, of this lack of knowledge. Maybe you're fearful of judgment. They're going to judge me. In fact, they're going to judge me harsher with all the other areas of life. Right, So they're gonna, if I share the gospel with them, then they're going to evaluate these other areas of my life and they're going to say, well, you don't even do that right. Why would I want to follow Christ? And so, so you're just, because of fear, you, you look aside. You, you find yourself being silent before those around you. I wonder, would you choose to conquer your fear? Take a, a, even just a small step this week. Would maybe, maybe even write this down in your notes that this week you would, again, again, just like a small step, would you invite someone to church next week? We're talking about that's like super low level, right? Right? Maybe, maybe that fear of rejection could still happen. They look back at you and they say, no, I do not want to go to your church. Okay. Now, certainly the next level would be that you would be 
expressing the truth of the gospel, but, but maybe just, just for those of us that are, are trying to conquer that fear, maybe take that first step and literally picking up the phone, texting, calling, knocking on your neighbor's door, going to your coworker's office, whatever it may be, and saying, will you come to church with me? Okay, and, and this is a serious note, but the, the next couple weeks in particular, in fact, this series of Revelation, it stirs people to uh, uh, interest in people. Oh, you're talking about end times? That's interesting. Oh, you're talking about what's gonna happen in the end? I'm curious about what's gonna happen in the end. And I'm telling you, I, I will make this commitment to you. In fact, I hope this commitment is there every single week, regardless of the topic. But if, if you invite a guest here, they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and over the next several weeks, there will be very clear presentations. I mean, the, the stuff that's coming, oh, we're talking about like the throne room, scroll, the lamb, like this is the best of the best. This is the stuff that we, we long for. We're, we're literally dreaming of, like visioning, hoping for. And so you want to give someone hope, bring them where they, they can hear the gospel presented to them. Make that a, an intentional effort this week. I will invite someone with me to hear the truth of Christ presented to them this week. Don't let the sins of fear stop that in you. Maybe there's a sin of toleration. This is described really in a couple different churches, one in verses 14 and 15, and then again in, in uh, verse 20, when uh, the, the church is just allowing sin to go on. He's describing that you're not even, you're, you're listening to false teachers or you've allowed someone in who claims to be a prophet or a prophetess and they're just, they're, they're not. They're sexually immoral. They're, they're offering food, sacrifice to idols. And so there's this, there's this allowance of sin. May we never be that church that just allows sin to, to flourish and, and thrive. Parents, I wanna, I wanna speak to you just for a minute. Are you tolerating sin in your kid, your child, or your student's life because you say something like, oh, it's, it's just their age. You, it's just their, it's the stage of life they're in, so they're just, they're just gonna do their thing. Are you okay with them acting a certain way or speaking a certain way or dressing a certain way because you did it when you were their age? So you've excused them because of your past sin. That you had to walk through confessing it before God and you'll allow them to keep going in it. Are you, are you tolerating their sin because of your current sin? I understand we've gotta be careful in calling out sin in others. You know, the whole plank in your eye thing but there's still a responsibility that we have to one another. It doesn't mean that we don't confront when necessary. And we don't call people to, to repentance, to confession before God. So, so don't allow yourself to, to live in the sin of toleration. Confess that sin before God. Confess the sin of laziness before God. 
Chapter 3, verse 2. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Are you unwilling to do what is right because it is hard? Is this hard? You find yourself just lazy. Again, I wish I knew another word to describe that. I mean, there are other ones, I guess, but just, I think you know what it means. You know what lazy is. Don't do that. And confess it. Like, we, we can't be people who let everybody else do the, the things that are necessary. We can't say, like, I just don't really want to do that. Somebody, and, and like, you, you give all kinds of excuses, but in reality, it's just because you're lazy. You don't want to have to get up as early or you don't want to have to study as hard or prepare as much or whatever the case is. May, may we be people who confess the sin of laziness and confess the sin of self-sufficiency. Chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He, he reproves this and disciplines because there is this need to uh, reject thinking that you have it in yourself. Nathan Lucas preached to us just a couple Sunday nights to, ago um, regarding the older brother in the prodigal son story, right? There was this thought in him that he had done enough. There was a self-sufficient why haven't you honored me? Why haven't you brought me the, the fattened calf? Why didn't you do this for me? I've done all the right things, right? Maybe you're sitting there and right now, as you heard me describe the sin of laziness, you thought to yourself, that's not me because I do it all. <laughs> I got it all covered, right? You were checking that one off because you're self-sufficient. May we be quick to confess that sin. I hope you're catching this, that regardless of what the area of sin is in your life, the responsibility is to confess it before God. He will forgive you. Again, your sin is going to be different than my sin, likely. At least specifically, it's going to be. We're all going to carry these in different ways, but May we be a church who is quick to confess them before God. So not only do we want to confess your sin, we want to know his word. Know his word, right? These two chapters are to the church. This is a, a message provided to these churches. In fact, if you have a red-letter edition, these are from Jesus. These are from Christ. Yes, it's John who penned them, but this is from Jesus. And interestingly, what we find is that the angel here is the courier that declares messages to the churches, right? So each time, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. 
Verse 8, to the angel, church of Smyrna. Verse 12, to the angel, the church in Pergamum. Verse 18, to the angel, the church in Thyatira. Chapter 3, verse 1, the angel, the church in Sardis. Verse 7, to the angel, the church in Philadelphia. Verse 14, the angel of the church in Laodicea. Over and over and over, there's this, this messenger. The word angel means messenger. to the one who's going to, to speak this. So, so I want you to write it to the angel who will speak it to the church. This is the, the task. The angel is this deliverer of the message, the, the one who passes that on. And so what is it that he's passing on? He's passing on the truth, the word from Christ. So, so for us, it's, it's imperative that we know his word, what's being spoken, what's, what's being delivered to us. Because while the angel is the courier, the, the spirit uh, that, that declares the message, the spirit is the courier that clarifies messages to the churches. So, so note this, that the beginning of each one of those, it's to the angel who's going to speak it. But then at the end of each one of those kind of brief letters, it says this. I, I mentioned this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches, right? So this sounds different. Who's, who's saying is it? Is it Jesus saying it? Yes. Is it John who's writing it? Yes. Is it the angel who's declaring it? Yes. Is it the spirit who's clarifying it? Yes. Does that make sense? So we've got, a, we've got a lot of stuff there, but in reality, the way in which this is heard is by the spirit. Verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Verse 17, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 6, then verse 13, 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to be clear that I am not the Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Pretty sure you knew that, but just to make it clear. But... I do believe I've been given a particular responsibility to be a messenger, a, a proclaimer of the word. So I want, I want you to understand that all of us who has an ear, have ears, may we be one who hears what the Spirit says to the church. What is the Spirit saying to us? What is He guiding us? And we do that not based on a whim, not based on just my own intuition or my own thoughts, but based on the very Word of God. That is why it's so imperative that we know His Word so that when the Spirit speaks, we can confirm it with the Word. Right? If, if we cannot, it is not wise for us to say, the Spirit said. Right? And, and most certainly, if it contradicts with the word, it is not from the Spirit. That, that's, not, that's not possible. The Spirit doesn't contradict himself. He's not a liar. He doesn't disagree with his own thoughts. So when, he, when, when you sense, hey, is this something from the Lord? Hey, did, did I just hear something from the Lord? Go to the word. This is why we must know his word. And by the way, you cannot find yourself uh, 
knowing his word enough by simply coming here Sunday after Sunday. I want you here Sunday after Sunday. I believe that that's uh, necessary bearing it out. Like we, we see this all throughout scripture, responsibility for us to gather together. It's even commanded in Hebrews chapter 10. So, so our gathering together and our, our looking to the word together should be taking place. But understand the way in which we know his word well, we hide it in our heart, Psalm 119. Right? We have to know it, we have to cherish it. So like, in, enjoying it. In fact, I would say like, Again, speaking of life groups, this is a great, another avenue for you to dive deeper into the Word of God. So, so you have personal time, and you have this, this small group time where you're, you're, going, you're going to a different depth, maybe. Maybe there's better opportunity for questions and answers and uh, discussion, certainly, than there are right now. I don't answer a lot of questions during this. That's my son's in here. And uh, so, like, but like, consider your life group time as that, that kind of engaging type of interaction that you can do that. But don't, don't get me wrong. I, nor your life group teacher, are trying to claim that we are angels or the spirit. But we are given a unique responsibility and a task to be deliverers of a message, de declarers of the truth. So, so hold fast to the very truth found in God's word. So... You must confess your sin, know his word, and do his work. Right? It's, not, it's not just that we should spend all of our time uh, only reading the Bible so that we know it. We can certainly be ones who know the word in this way and confess our sin, but we're not called to, uh, to simply be like monks live in another place and only spend our time reading the Bible and praying. There should be more to that. In fact, this is what John and really Jesus is writing to the churches when he says this. So one of those works that he calls us to in these uh, chapters is to endure patiently. Verses two and three, chapter two. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. Later, I know you're enduring, patiently bearing up for my name's sake, have not grown weary. Verses 9 and 10, you've kept my word about patient endurance. Verse 13, you hold fast my name, you did not deny my faith. Verse 19, I know your works, your faith, your service, patient endurance. Verse 25, you are holding fast. Chapter three, verse 10 and 11, because you have kept my word and, and about patient endurance. Verse 11, how hold fast what you have. Right over and over, this, this idea of, of standing firm, holding fast, being patient. Remember who he's writing to. These believers are uh, at a different, at that different level of persecution, right? They're experiencing what I described earlier is that most of us are not concerned about. And yet he's saying, stay the course. And remember then, like, 
Uh, they didn't have 2,000 years to look back on and say, man, they, they waited, and so we're still in that waiting process, so if they did it, we can do it. No, like they were the, the earliest of churches, and so they don't, they're, they're waiting. They're literally at times looking to the sky saying, like, when is he coming back? And he's saying, just be patient. Endure the hardship and the difficulty and the heartache and the sorrow and the grief. Press on. Like, hold fast to this word that you know. Hold to what is true. Be, be patient. Endure what is happening all around you, what's happening to you. And you, you kind of might be wondering, where's the hope in that? Oh, this, this is the hope. Because he's saying, Hold on, wait, because I promise what's coming is worth the wait. You ever have uh, really good food? I'll give an example. Raise your hand if you've had one of Gloria's cinnamon rolls. Some of you are sad right now because you didn't get to raise your hand. My wife, Gloria, makes absolutely delicious cinnamon rolls that her mom taught her to make. And so Nana rolls and Gloria rolls are the same and they're both fantastic, okay? And they take like three days to make, right? And, and when you order them, say, hey, could you make us some cinnamon rolls for such and such a thing? My house smells like them. And then I don't get to eat them. <laughs> so I really appreciate that patient endurance you're giving me, right? You know that there's, there's something about like this, this three-day process. She's rolling. She's like, she, she has to feed it. I don't know. Uh, she puts it in the refrigerator and she pokes holes in the thing and then she brings it out and then she pours it in. The, I don't even know what all she's doing. But like it happens. And then, uh, then she, I, I don't even know. It's crazy. But three days She's doing all this stuff, and then it comes out, and it's worth the three-day wait, right? It's just worth it. Yeah, it is. See? Uh, and so maybe there's something like that that, again, it's, it's a brief wait. That you say, oh, that was worth the wait. You go, to, you go to Disney World, and you stand in line, and you're like, it better be worth the wait, and the money too, right? Uh, but, but here's the thing, even though that's, that's just like a brief three days, in the span of eternity, 70, 80 years of patient endurance, it's worth it. Because it's just a blip. For the gazillion years we'll spend, which we talk about next week in the throne room, right? So, so this patient endurance just Press on, hold fast, because, because what you're going through is worth the wait. What you're waiting for is worth it. So endure patiently, love faithfully. Don't forget your first love. Don't forget what you once had. Remember, therefore, from where you fall and repent, do the work you did at first. 
right? Remember when you, remember what it felt like to the joy of telling the church that you were a follower of Christ when you were baptized and you, you celebrated and you praised God? You told your neighbors, hey, I'm getting baptized. You told your classmates, hey, I, I just recently got saved. Hey, this awesome thing just happened to me. I went from death to life. You're not gonna believe it. And all of that happens. And so this over and over, you're calling your friend, you're calling your grandma. Hey, you know how you've been praying for me for years? I got saved and they are thrilled. There's, there's a party. You have a cake. There's all kinds of exciting things. And now it's 30 years later and you hadn't told a soul. No, we've got to love faithfully. Don't abandon what you know to be true. There's got to be joy and excitement that fills you to overflowing to the point that you passionately, regularly, faithfully display that kind of love over and over and over, that you love others enough to proclaim the truth to them. Love faithfully. And, and conquer victoriously. Here's why there is such hope, why it is worth the wait. Each time speaks to the conquerors. Verse seven, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is paradise. Verse 11, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Verse 17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden man. I will give white stone a new name. Verse 26, the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end to him, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule with them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. Chapter three, verse five, the one who conquers, be clothed in white garments. Verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. We win, church. This is what this is saying. When Jesus is talking to these people, say, endure, faithfully pursue Christ. Love faithfully. Don't give up. Hold fast. Stand strong. We win. It doesn't matter what church you're looking at. Which one? Through the one who conquers, we win. Because Christ is already won. So you, you get to win. This isn't just about like being on the winning side. This is about conquering death and hell and sin. See, in following Christ, the church must endure patiently, love faithfully and conquer victoriously. So I I wonder, I wonder if there are some of you in this room today who have never trusted in this Christ. This one who's, who's saying, even if you're going through hardship and heartache, there's a, there's a way to conquer what's happening in your life. And it's not, it's not just that it will all go away. It's that one day, it's that one day, your hope will be on full display. So you experience the, the removal of heartache and grief and sorrow there will be no more tears. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more COVID. There will be no more pneumonia. There will be no more heart disease. There will be no more laziness. There will be no, no more sin that abounds so much in us. So, 
would you turn away from your sin? Turn away from yourself, your, your self-sufficiency, your plan, your hopes, your dreams. Turn away from it all and trust in the one true King, Jesus, who is the Christ. The one who's promised, offering you eternal victory with him. You see, he is our hope whether in this life and even in our death, it brings about eternal life. Christ is our hope. As we respond this morning, I, maybe you are one who has more questions or even just wants to, to say, I'm calling on Jesus and I, I wanna talk to somebody about that right here to my left. There will be those who would love to talk with you. Even just last, last Sunday, someone, even after the service was over, came in to, to speak and share and say, I, I want Jesus. Maybe you would be that person today. <laughs> Maybe it is, you just need to, to sing you've been inspired to worship as the book of Revelation is causing us to do. And so you call out to the Lord, Christ, you are our hope in life and death. Would you stand with me as we respond?